Hello, and welcome to the Theology Gaming Podcast. We've been gone for a while for some reason. My name is Zachary Oliver, the owner and provider of the Theology Gaming Vlog, and with me today are three special guests. (laughs) First, we have Brandon Ball Z, Brandon Zamuda. How you doing? Hi, everybody. I'm doing great. We have Nelson, DG. Hey, everyone. From Video Games in the Bible. Glad to be here. And we have Eric Anderson from Nerd Chapel. Greetings, and I would give salutations, but I already give all my salutations out, so, you know. Yeah, you can't really greet anybody after that. My mind's already blown this podcast because I just realized what VGB means in his name now. (laughs) (laughs) You, sir, have had an epiphany. (laughs) All right. It's all downhill for me from here. (laughs) All right, so we're going to actually be somewhat focused, maybe. Possibly. Nelson, what is our topic? Steam keys, they get resold and they really, really hurt developers. And bundling the whole trend of bundles and pay what you want schemes, sometimes run by the legitimate and sometimes run by the very illegitimate, are really hurting independent developers. How do we approach this as Christians and as gamers who don't want to be jerks to the people making our favorite art? Okay, so. You told me about this. I didn't even know there was a gray market where people like took Steam keys and sold them to each other. I'd always been curious what exactly sites like G2A and Kingwin and whatnot actually did. Because I'm like, wow, this game's a lot cheaper than it should be. This must be a scam. <laughs> I mean, that's my first thought thinking about it. But apparently this is a thing that makes developers lose money. And I think it's important to also make a distinction from regular key trading, which actually, if you go to places like Reddit, is very regulated. Users saying, hey, I have a key for Wasteland 2. Hey, I have a key for Saints Row 4. Let's trade it. And it only goes between two parties who then redeem it and play it to their intended use. The issue is when people sell the keys for far below their market value, or even worse, use stolen credit cards to steal Steam keys from smaller portals like Indie Game Stand, which recently did a big expose on it, and a visual novel focus site, which had to shut down the whole Steam key uh, redemption part of its business due to just how frequent and... What's the word? Uh, how prevalent the, the practice of buying Steam keys with fraudulent credit cards to then resell and um, make a profit off of are hurting them. So so they buy them directly off Steam? Is that how this works? Uh, the developer, when they make a game, they tell Steam, I want so many keys to distribute to whoever I choose. And they have to submit a request for however many keys. Steam gives them the keys, and they then send it to portals like Humble Bundle, like Indie Game Stands, like PlayAsia, Playism, what have you. Um, and this is also given to other regular bundle sites and maybe to friends and family. From those keys given out through all those different places, people will buy from a second party, such as Green Man Gaming or etc. Humble Bundle. You, you get the drill by now. Yeah, yeah. To then sell on a place like G2A or Kingwin. So. In the end, the developers aren't seeing any of the money being given all over the place, and it 
the net effects end up actually being somewhat worse than piracy. Because with piracy, there's limitations, etc. But with the Steam key, you're potentially tied to providing a service for a user forever. A user who didn't even give you legitimate revenue for your title. Oh, that stinks. Yeah, that's pretty bizarre to think about. Because <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind when I buy like Humble Bundle stuff, just for example, right, is there's not technically a legal agreement that you sign with Humble to like not resell keys or not trade them to other people. It's always struck me as odd. Because you would think that would be a thing that they would want to prevent. Which is basically people taking Steam keys and doing whatever they want with them, other than actually playing the thing. Well, the lure of Steam keys is many-fold. Not only is it something you can redeem to your Steam library, which many people don't want to depart from once it balloons up to hundreds of titles, but let's say you already have the game. You can give it to friends. You can trade it away for something you do want. So there's, it's like many other complicated issues. There's so much space for legitimate people who just want to be able to enjoy their key and to maybe help out a friend or etc. That's how I got to play the Tiles Principle because someone had got it through Humble Bundle, already had a copy, gave it to me. That wouldn't be possible if you were signing an agreement. On the other hand, if someone was really trying to do something shady, it's very possible they just ignore the agreement anyway and would just end up hurting people who legitimately wanted to use their keys for friendly reasons. Mm -hmm. So, is there anything we can do to rectify this problem? <laughs> well, I, I think the first thing we can do is just make sure that we're being responsible about where we spend our money and, and uh, that we are that we do the research to know if, if you're actually supporting something like this or if you're just uh, doing it correctly. Yeah, and that can be hard to tell because I believe I remember that like even websites that seem legitimate sometimes aren't with in terms of what kind of keys they're selling because as far as I know a lot of game publishers like to distribute keys across multiple regions so like a Steam key that works in Russia doesn't work in the U.S. and, you know, vice versa, right? But sometimes they can, like, resell keys to you. Legitimate, this is like a legitimate seller to this. I think, like, Green Man Gaming sold Witcher 3 keys that were technically illegitimate keys because they bought them from some random third party. So who even knows if the money went to CD Projekt, who was the developer? <laughs> so, and the interesting thing about that, if I may interject real yeah, quick, is that this ties into something I'm very deeply connected to, which is the um, Steam market. The whole reason that Steam recently put, uh, I think it was December 2014, uh, a big lockdown on inter-region trading was that people in Russia were buying games and, from Steam directly, and those games would then be sent in return for TF2 keys, which have a pretty stable value, $2.50, users would be buying games at many, many times they're below their price because of the currency differential. So basically, in many ways, you could say that the, uh, the inter-region trading and currency abuse that was taking place on Steam that they locked down has now moved away from Steam directly and has moved to other portals, which is why we're hearing more about this uh, 
does the key reselling and abuse now than we used to? So I would say we have to be kind of cautious where we buy games from. <laughs> or just well, get them from general, yeah. Yeah. It seems like more developers, as I'm looking at this now, are actually coming out with lists of who they partner with for their digital sales. Like I'm looking at one for Elder Scrolls Online and uh, the Sniper Elite team did one in like 2014 of who they like sell their keys to. Okay. So it's something I guess that they're looking into and just being like even putting out the warning of hey, you know, try to shop from these people where we're legitimately giving our keys to. And the general consensus is if you buy something from G2A, nine times out of ten, a developer will not touch them because of how much they've hurt other developers through their business practice. Uh, G2A, even though they sponsor a lot of YouTubers and streamers legitimately, and though that gives them a sort of aura of legitimacy that it, 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 it's just really, really bad. So G2A, not good. Just no bueno. As a person who watches some Hearthstone matches of professional capacity, G2A is like all over sponsorship for the thing. Just everywhere. Just everywhere. And it's like, we buy Hearthstone related on G2A. But anyway, I understand why G2A is like advertising everywhere, especially in unofficial channels, because you'll never see it like an official game developer do it. I think G2A was even banned as a sponsor from League of Legends competitions by Riot, if I, if I recall correctly. I think that's true, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, don't mess with G2A, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is... So, so then you have to wonder why is Hearthstone allowing that, if, if so much of what happens on their site is uh, such a nasty thing, or, or, or how much? I mean, do we do we have any sort of an idea of how much of what happens there is the essentially stealing and the black market, basically, or how much of it is more of a legitimate stuff going on? That's uh, hard to know, <clears throat> honestly. Well, I guess that's why it's called the gray market, right? Because it could be just a user who's like, hey, I got this from a bundle. I want to like make a little bit of money on the side right next to a dude who uses stolen credit cards to uh, apparently I'm reading a story that the natural selection two devs had 1,300 and however many keys stolen from them and it cost them $30,000 in revenue. Those two guys are right next to each other and you can't tell the difference between them. Yeah, because uh, a key is just a key. It's not like we can like read into whether or not it's a legitimate one. Tell me where the seller is now. <laughs> yeah, where G2A is probably located in like some country without extradition laws or something. G2A oh, looks shady just right on its front page. <laughs> Look at this. We're casting judgment. Well, like you can buy right now like 10 random Steam CD keys for $2.18 or one random Steam premium CD key for $1.09. Okay. Wow. We're going to check the Wikipedia page and see if it's located somewhere. Because we believe in objective, accurate uh -oh. facts. Let's see. Wikipedia. At the bottom of the page, it says Hong Kong for G2A.com Limited. Well, Poly Pink Polygon actually did a big uh, story on key resellers last year, and they found that Kingwin was in general more legitimate. Like when you type in Kingwin, even the very first result is, of course, Kingwin. And the second one is Kingwin versus G2A. 
And Kingwin is seen as the more upstanding brother of G2A, but at the same time, the, the same shady crap is going through both of them. So either way, you, you turn, if you're not buying it from the gamer developer directly or through a portal that they endorse, you're likely hurting them. Looks like it's in Poland and Hong Kong. Uh, I can see it. I can see it being in Hong Kong. Having been to Hong Kong and seen all the t-shirts they sell with different properties mixed together when you're out on the street in the market. Huh. Yeah, it's, it's the kind of thing that would be impossible to prosecute unless the government that in which the website's actually located or wherever the company's established actually would prosecute someone for it. And it must be really difficult to prove whether a Steam key is illegitimate or not, except by like the claim of the company. Well, actually, sort of thing. actually, unless that credit card fraud, that's different. Has gotten a lot of people upset because there have been cases where developers have tracked back the source of keys, revoked the access of players, and it's and that is perhaps in some ways the the crux of the entire debate. I bought the game with good money. It's mine, right? Company says, no, you didn't buy it from us. We didn't get any money from it because you bought it from a third party. Whereas the consumer is like, I bought it, so that doesn't make sense. It's mine. But like buying something doesn't mean you own it. <laughs> well, <laughs> Far Cry 4. the licensing agreement of the game in the first place. I think it was Far, Far Cry 4 had, I think, 50,000 users had their keys revoked for that. Wow. Uh, I'm gonna, I think I'm I remember gonna, hearing about that. I'm going to recheck my stats. Yeah, uh, Ubisoft killed copies of Far Cry 4 sold through third parties, uh, according to a story on Destructoid. And the Ubisoft was like, tough luck. <laughs> An well, another reason to just go buy a disc at GameStop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how do you guys feel about used games, like trading in physical copies and buying them? Uh, because developers don't see money from that either. It's okay, in my opinion. And the reason why is because that is the service that GameStop provides, right? Yes. Because people are trading games, regardless of what the value of the game is, right? Yeah. You probably get like a fifth of the value, probably less, depends. Oh, yeah. You know, I, don't, I don't trade in games anymore. I buy used games from GameStop, but I don't trade them in, but... But the only reason why that GameStop has used games is because people are usually willing to trade them in. <laughs> so yeah. most of the time, it is technically just yeah. like your local pawn shop owns X or Y amount of yeah. something somebody traded in. And this is how they make a profit, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Because otherwise GameStop probably wouldn't exist. The, the markup's ridiculous on them from it what they pay. Be. It can be. For... Steam key reselling was a big thing. Lionhead and Peter Molyneux actually said that used games are worse than piracy because in, in a similar manner, a game is being sold and the developer is not seeing a profit from it. So I guess even though GameStop provided that service, that was the reason we saw online passes were for a period if you wanted to get to play the, the multiplayer mode of a title, you had to either pay the 10 bucks on the store page or use the, the one-time use code that was on the inside the new package of whatever game you're buying. Oh, that was, yeah, the one they were doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Awful. That. That Everybody was like, I'm so angry. I can't believe I bought this. Reaction. I came online. 
against used game sales. Well, sometimes you get really good deals on stuff that nobody wants to play. That's mostly where I'm coming at it from. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying it's wrong. I just think it's an interesting thing. I think the most interesting part of it is that the possibility that it's possible that all of these different trends and uh, I guess controversies of the moment are just continuations of the same old story time and time again. Yeah. The interesting part though, I think is that it's not so much that people are reselling steam keys. They bought legitimately. They're like, illegitimately buying stuff with credit card fraud and then making money off it. Yeah. 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 gets into a, a different legal issue than just selling, like, secondhand stuff. At, at least for me, I just tend to yeah. buy things, like, straight off Steam out of convenience, unless the price is just substantially lower somewhere yeah. else. In which case, I'll just buy it from there. <laughs> You've seen my Steam library. I just don't buy from them at all. <laughs> just buy all physical copies there. Yeah, I just get free games. But like, I'll I'll just provide an example myself. Okay, I wanted to buy Guilty Gear XR when it came out on Steam, right? It was like thirty bucks. So I'm like, well, can I get the price down a little lower? I found a website called Imperial Games. Uh, I looked them up. They're from Canada or something. <laughs> uh, I bought the key from there, and the key was legitimate. So. It uh, works, and they're still selling it as of right now, and uh, I guess they get their money because they're technically officially licensed. So, How much uh, was it through Imperial Games? It was $21 when I bought it. Oh, that's cool. And I guess that's an example of you went you did your research, and the developer got their money, and you're enjoying the game. That's, the I guess, the desired end result of any of this, right? Yeah, because yeah. you want them to get the money, but... This uh, Steam Key stuff seems kind of shady. And I actually think they sell Hearthstone card packs on G2A now I'm thinking about it. And I'm going to go huh. look this up right now. And Kingwin sells CSGO stickers and item packs. So oh, That's weird. Yeah. How do you sell those? They have, like, keys for those? <laughs> no, I don't think it's keys. I think it's users have put up um, their CSGO skins and Steam inventory items and such on Kingwin and Kingwin allows them to resell it not through Steam through the Steam market but on Kingwin which somehow gives you more money or something I don't I don't, I don't understand any of this huh. okay so here's the thing about all this right we can talk about the legality or illegality of this but there's also the other side of it which is that most people I would assume have limited budgets when it comes to buying playing video games Especially with the more that come out, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and yep. if unless you're that crazy person who buys every single game brand new, sixty dollars, or a million dollars if you're buying one of those exorbitantly priced uh, special editions, <laughs> where you fund a movie, I think Dying Light has a five million dollars special edition. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you get to be have a role in the movie. You get acting and parkour lessons and all sorts of. I think most of that stuff is usually promotional, just to be do something completely crazy. I think if anybody actually bought that pack, the company would A, be overjoyed, and B, wonder, oh, holy crap, what we just got ourselves into. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a fun promotional tool. So anyway, right, when a lot of us see, like, Humble Bundles come up, right, we just say, well, lots of cheap games, and we go buy it. 
But I've got to assume that, like, the reason why Humble Bundles exist is not because that game, like, needs to be sold. It's just that this is extra money on top of whatever the total investment was already. So buying it at an exorbitantly cheap price is because the games themselves are pretty old already. Where that fault starts to fall apart and where you begin to see the sadness of the indie dev market right now, uh, if I may say something personally, uh, from what I've observed and spoken to with various developers, is the situations where a developer makes their game, releases it, doesn't get attention, and it does not get attention, and now they're scrambling because they've gotten in debt or whatever else to try to make some sort of money off of it. So they enlist in a bunch of bundles and uh, pay what you want places all over the internet, of which there are many, uh, and there's many Steam groups keeping track of that sort of thing. And as a result, any possible money they could have made off the title, perhaps through extra promotion, perhaps through better marketing, or perhaps through just moving on to making another game and then kind of publicizing the previous one through that, uh, that gets lost as the value of that title is forever reduced to its lowest value. And the steps that team is that Steam has taken to lessen the I guess percentage of developers choosing to either list their titles for rock bottom prices on Steam or just to rush into bundles such as the exploration update uh, and etc that basically the big Steam sales where Developers were encouraged rather than doing a bunch of flash sales and all this different stuff so people could buy really cheap games, but to have a set price throughout the duration of the entire thing. And the situation a couple of days ago where Cradle, the daily deal of the day on Steam, which is commonly around 50 to 75% off, that was only 15% off. In each case where developer where Steam has taken steps to kind of protect developers somewhat from themselves, consumers who were used to very cheap games kind of lose their minds. And in that regard, it leaves future developers kind of worried because as they declare, okay, I'm a, like Jonathan Blow, I'm going to sell my game for 60 bucks. No Man's Sky, 60 bucks. As they start to declare our games are worth something and consumers begin to fight back, it introduces the question, how do we get here in the first place where we are so consumed by our love of cheap games, which is great because I've there's so many experiences I never would have been able to have if games hadn't been offered cheap. But at what point did we get so far into that mindset that games are cheap and disposable that we aren't ready to see them as some as objects of value? I think a bigger problem probably is that there's just too many games. <laughs> And this is the reason why the prices get driven down. The supply is huge. There's just tons of it. And uh, as far as preferences go, you can pretty much find anything you want. <laughs> and because of that, and because there's so many alternatives, right? Uh, if one alternative is cheaper than the other, people are going to go for the cheapest thing. It's just, that's the way it goes. <laughs> it's unfortunate, but it's just part of the way that the indie development scene came up, right? It was big for a while. Now it's been about a decade since Braid and, you know, Associated Games came out. And uh, now you've just got 
the indie market is just totally swamped with games that are similar and they are only differentiated a little bit. So you kind of feel the pain when you see like people having to sell games for super cheap. <laughs> What's even worse is seeing a great game buried um, because the game journalism websites are so swamped with new titles that yeah, they can't even cover stuff anymore. <laughs> they only really begin to really put a huge spotlight on one or two indie games at a time, which you see the indie game du jour that gets a ton of attention. Whereas anything released around that time, even if it's very worthy, falls way beneath the radar. So Dropsy came out, which as anybody who knows me knows is very dear to my heart. And shortly after that, Undertale came out. And Dropsy sank like a rock. And in a similar um, respect, you see games like Stardew Valley, which was recently released and is getting a bunch of press attention. And so for every indie game that gets a ton of attention and a ton of praise very deservedly as well, there's like five developers who, if not more, undoubtedly more, that will never that their game will likely never see the light of gaming journalism day, whether that's Kotaku or Rock Paper Shotgun or any other popular portal. I'm yeah. super depressed now. Dear God. <laughs> well, sorry. I mean, <laughs> as, as far as tons of games coming out, just look at Gen Con. Um, there's dozens and dozens of games being brought out Gen Con every year, and the show floor is huge. I mean, it's bigger. The show floor there has more space than some car shows do. Oh, wow. Uh, and it's just absolutely ginormous. Um, and so I've never even come close to seeing everything that you can see at Gen Con for all the years that I've gone. Um, and so it comes down to choices. What are you going to choose to look at? What is going to be your priority? And I know that, you know, some groups will take a whole team and say, okay, you check out this, you check out this, you look for this, you go do that. And they have to take a whole team in order to cover it because it's just so much going on. Yeah, it's just impossible to cover all this stuff anymore. <laughs> There's just so much of it. And like, this is, yeah, it's the same reason why like news sites, right? Everybody has their own news site now. They, you know, localized onto this single hobby. It's the internet, right? Everybody in various subgroups can get their own thing, right? Yeah. And so this happens with genres too, and with board games, and with, uh, you know, these nerd conventions, if you want to call them that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, these nerd dens. What, what do you What do you call it? It's just a convention, right? Con. Yeah. Is it? It's what? a con, con for short. Con for short. Okay. It's just a convention, yeah. but it's a convention revolving around things that you would find in a local game store not a video game store specify <laughs> but it's just there's so many delineations of the one interest that there's just too much stuff and the too much stuff inevitably drives down the price of everything well and and this harkens to us living in a culture where our focus tends to be more on material items and less on um quality community mm. where you know you watch TV and it's commercial after commercial because now it, it seems like 
the money aspect is more important the, than the art aspect and the story aspect for television because they have to make money because it's all about the material. And, you know, you take the kids out someplace and they want to get ice cream and they want to go to the toy store and it's like, okay, well, we need to do some actual community things, not just material things. Yeah, there's so much cool stuff. Yeah, this is true. There was so a lot. So much of it. We can't help ourselves. Yeah. One thing I'll say is that, oh, sorry. I was going to say that as we're talking about like just how much product is out there. Do you think that if they're the industry's not careful, it could collapse under its own weight by just keeping shoving product down everyone's throat. Uh, I think in terms of the big players in the industry, they'll probably be okay. Because I'll just cite one example, right? Uh, Blizzard has not been doing so good with World of Warcraft in the past couple years, but because they've been transitioning to games that are mostly free to play, right? Hearthstone, just for example, was a huge smash success. They barely spent any actual money on it, but they're diversifying their model because they have enough money to do a bunch of R&D behind the scenes to make stuff that fits within the modern game market. And the modern game market really is free to play for a lot of people. And then some others tried to go into mobile and then they totally failed. And then they're back into actual game development, which is what happened to Capcom, I think. <laughs> but. Oh, you mean Konami? Oh, that's a different thing. They tried to go into Pachinko, one right? One went into Pachinko, and one left Pachinko. I think Konami's the one going in. Konami's going in, SNK's going out. There we go. <laughs> Just... I thought Konami's Pachinko business was going down the toilet, though. Uh, they're actually, I think 80% of their revenue comes from um, health clubs, health and fitness clubs. Something crazy like that, yeah. I bet they love the Silent Hill Pachinko thing up in that health and fitness club. Yeah, read, reading the business bottom line of these companies, it's just bizarre what they're into. But, but just to contrast, right, the smaller like indie studios, even let's say the middle tier, kind of where weird games used to be developed in like the PS2 era and backward, right? They don't really exist anymore because there's just too many people making stuff that's, a, even though it's differentiated in terms of like, a video game expert, it's not differentiated enough for the average customer to really care. And that's why you're going to have a big problem. With Blizzard, though, they at least stick to their, like, three core games, because how many games, you know, besides Diablo, StarCraft, or Warcraft, have they actually made? Uh, Like, in the last couple years? They made games that were based off their other properties, which are separate games, nonetheless, but they leverage the branding of the games that already exist. Because kind of Overwatch like is though, test tests new concepts by using familiar brands. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Except for Overwatch, which is just like yeah. them trying to salvage Titan, which was their failed MMO project, and make it into something like that they could sell people. So hopefully that comes out good. <laughs> it looks fun. Yeah, it could be. But uh, yeah, I just think the big guys are gonna be fine. That's that's fine and dandy, right? But there's just too many indie games. There's just too many. It's so much more easier for people to make games now than before, so. Yeah, I mean, technically it's been uh, diversified by indie developers, but, like, then AAA game developers took a lot of the stuff that the indie developers do and then just integrated them into their products because, I mean, it's direct competition. 
you're not going to be able to compete against a billion dollar juggernaut of marketing, you know? Yeah. Who can toss more money into better systems and people and just get it done. Yeah. So on the other hand, we see developers trying to transition to free to play stuff and those kind of more successful quote unquote models. The models are more in vogue right now and failing like, uh, Fable Legends was is the most recent example. Line had just got shut down. I hope it works out for Street Fighter, because literally SF5 is just a content platform now. It's not really a, like a new entry in the series that is its own thing. They're gonna keep releasing like new characters and stages and mechanics and stuff as the game evolves. Which is like a really interesting way to do stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I know there's still people upset by what they've released so far, though, Which and paying that money. Been like a total pile of crap, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they released like a an alpha. They released what is technically considered Beta. a game that can be played competitively, but they didn't actually release any features to go along with it. And then they charged everybody sixty dollars, yeah. and or let's say eighty-five dollars if you bought the season pass. Yeah. I think that's another thing that gets people too with wanting to buy the cheaper games is the perceived value you can get from a game. Like when the Order 1886 came out last year and everyone was angry about paying $60 for a game you could beat in about five to six hours. On the other hand, a lot of indie games these days take about five to six hours, but people feel they get much more value out of that. Uh, such a, a game out of Fire, like Firewatch than they did out of a title that was a kind of humdrum third-person shooter like the order yeah because how much is firewatch is that 20 or 30 20 on steam i think yeah and i think people are happier just to find the five hours for 20 than paying 60 dollars and being upset for a graphics simulator i'm surprised the firewatch thing was like even a controversy like 20 bucks for that is like too unreasonable <laughs> holy crap that dragon cancer is only 15 bucks i thought it was more expensive yeah no no it's yeah 15 i think yeah, and that was the most heavy two hours of my life spread out across like three freaking weeks. I'm waiting to play it. I'm trying to talk our like men's group into playing it. Like we're all gonna play it, and then we're gonna talk about it afterwards and see how that goes. I couldn't handle it all in one sitting. Good luck to you. I think we're gonna space it out over two weeks. I'm not gonna force everyone, but I'm kind of nervous to play because I don't never played those games, and I know the feels in there, and I it'll be interesting almost definitely i think i played it for a short time with someone else with me and the perspective you get when it's two people engaging in that uh, experience is really cool i think knowing the whole backstory makes it different like if you just went in just thinking it was a game and you're like okay this is this but when you hear everything about how it was made why it was made and the results and everything it adds extra weight to it Man, we're depressing today, aren't we? Yeah, sorry guys. <laughs> we didn't intend for it to go this way. <laughs> <laughs> From Steam Key reselling to That Dragon Cancer. Yeah, so this is why I tend to like physical games, but I have given up when it comes to like the fact that PC games tend to be cheaper. Yes. That is true. Because, I, you know, I do love Nintendo, right? And you really can't cheat Nintendo out of money because even secondhand, their games are about equivalent to retail price. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And then you've got this, like, perceived value thing going on. Like, a Nintendo game's always going to be $60, $50, whatever, right? And then on Steam, you'll find a game that's like, well, I really want the Nintendo game, but, you know, I could buy something on Steam for $10. So. Oh, 
Okay, so I have a story here regarding a Nintendo game, and tell me if this was wrong by what I did. And this happened a couple weeks ago. We were going through the store. You were and, wrong. Yeah, probably <laughs> right there. That's it. But there was a thing for Super Mario, like the new Super Mario Brothers for the Wii, and it was brand new. And the sticker said two ninety nine. So we already had a copy because, like, when we bought our Wii for the second time, we had like the little cardboard disc one that came with it because it came with the system ah, okay. but this one was like in the actual case and everything it was $2.99 and being $2.99 I said let's buy it we'll keep the one in the case and we'll trade the other one in so we pretty much traded our other one in and made money off of the one that we pretty much bought for $2.99 is that a wrong thing to do? no that's a bargain Yeah, I'm, I was like, I'm more surprised you found it for $2.99 yeah. that's, that's what I thought I was like $2.99 I'd buy it I don't even care what game it would have been I would have bought it for $2.99 what place in existence sells a Mario game for $2.99 it was Meyer. <laughs> well, that explains it but then like it's funny because there was two separate uh, spots for it even like when we went back because right now they're selling it for $29.99 yeah, so I think maybe they figured nobody owns a Wii U so it was yeah. okay yeah <laughs> So it was the regular Wii one, which I'm like, okay, it's an older game, but still, like it's, like you said, Nintendo games are still ridiculously expensive. But now they're selling it for twenty nine ninety nine. So I'm wondering if there was a misprint in the system. I mean, I bought the uh, what do you call it? I bought that game with the Luigi U thing attached to it for like twenty six bucks. I mean, I got a big deal on it anyway. Yeah. But like two ninety nine. That's that's just like going to a flea market and then like, oh, yeah. there it is, you know. Yeah, because I can probably look up. I'm pretty sure they probably sell it at GameStop at least for probably about twenty. Even though it's like, if you go to GameStop, you're getting gouged on Wii U stuff. Oh yeah, no, this was <laughs> regular Wii, not Wii U. Oh, regular Wii. Oh, that's a misprint then. I think it was thirty bucks when I got that one. Yeah, I got it for two ninety nine, and it like we took it to the register and everything, and it rang up two ninety nine. I'm like, okay, sold. <laughs> like I don't Boy, care if I don't even like it. Was Earthbound an SNES game? Yes. It was indeed. Okay, I so I might have to get a th new 3DS because if SNES games are running on new 3DS... Oh, only, now. Really only the six games are going to be releasing so far. I think the Earthbound nine. is exclusive to the Wii U, though, unfortunately. Oh, uh, God I, I, no, I think they said uh, Earthbound is coming to the 3DS. and. Okay, finally? It, Because I know yeah. it was on Wii U, but it definitely is not on 3DS right it, now. It's part of the nine. I think it's coming out later because the first one was like Mario World and something else. Super Metroid's coming later and Zelda. Okay, so uh, March 24th? Mm. Okay, so there you go. Anybody who's wondering, uh, Super Mario Kart, Earthbound, <laughs> Donkey Kong Country come out on the 24th. The thing I'm upset about is I bought, this was about a year or two ago, is I bought Super Metroid for the Wii U because we had extra money. And I've never played Super Metroid, and kind of hard to find the cartridge for a decent price. So I bought it, but am I going to be able to play it on my new 3DS, or am I going to have to buy this new 3DS one um, and like buy the game again to play it? I think Nintendo stuff that you buy on a specific console is locked to that console, and not to your account. I'm not sure, though. Don't From what I've heard, Nintendo is going that route, though. They are going that route for the NX, for sure. But for this stuff, I'm not sure. Because I was able to transfer all my Wii stuff to the Wii U. Yeah, that was at least nice. That worked, but I don't know about the 2DS, 3DS stuff. Because 
I don't want to buy the game again, to be honest with you. But I'd rather play it on the 3DS just because it's more readily available for me. Hmm. All right. Well, we don't portable. know. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, Nintendo can just keep reselling the same stuff over and over again, and I'll complain, and yet I'll still keep buying it. <laughs> You're part of the problem, Brandon. That's what everybody said, though. Everybody I know who has a Nintendo system says, I can't believe Nintendo did it while handing Nintendo their money. Yeah. <laughs> I don't rebuy this stuff. I keep my games. <laughs> I still got my Super NES somewhere. Hmm. We lost... Uh, wait, no, it was a 64 that we lost in the fire. Aww. Aww. Along with the, an original Xbox and re an Xbox 360, a PS2. Goodness. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah, it was a sad day. <laughs> sad day for video game consoles. I have an observation, <laughs> actually. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this, Eric, but don't board games generally retain their value? Like the de the developers and designers in that field, like keep their games at a relatively stable price because they have to to make money back on the printing. It, it seems that way, yeah. It it like years after Sellers of Catan comes out came out, like well over a decade, you still have to pay forty two bucks to get a copy of Sellers of Catan, <laughs> and ticket and they'll even do you know. Now we're doing luxury editions and things like that. So if you want, uh, I mean, it, I lucked out. Uh, I got my copy of the 10th anniversary edition of Ticket to Ride on miniature market for 80 bucks, but otherwise it's 100 bucks. Hmm. If you go into like Barnes and Noble or something. Oh, um, cool. So yeah, and it, it's really rare to find, uh, aside from. Like the Hasbro board games and Parker Brothers, it's rare to find them on sale, as an on a um, sale for thirty percent off or ten percent off or anything like that. It, yeah. yeah. Also, it's kind of hard to pirate board games. True. <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> Try hard. Yeah. You can do it. I've never yeah. really gotten into board games. I think it's because of the steep price, and I don't think I'd be playing them as much as I would like to. Well, and that's that's where having a board game group comes in handy, because then you just get together with people, and not everyone has to be the per has to buy the game. You know, one person buys this game, another per person buys that game, and then you just get together. Um, I used to have. A, uh, a game group that met weekly at my house a couple of years ago, and that was always fun, but I was the main provider because, you know, my cousin Laura, who was living with us at, at the time, wasn't going to go buy games and, you know, just didn't have the money. Um, one or two other guys, just one guy was putting all of his money into Warhammer 40k miniatures. Um, That's an expensive hobby. Yes. Yes. I know some friends who have gotten into that, and they come out of that haze just hooded lids what <laughs> with... happened to me yes i, have I a wanted miniature to get into army, that. not a real one yeah it, it, it's crazy because it not only do you have to pay a lot of money for it but then you have to put a lot of time and energy into it because you have to build the models paint them 
And then you, you're, you have to buy the rule book, which is a little hardcover heavy book. And then there's all the codices for, for each individual faction that you can, can buy. I could not buy. I could not buy a miniature because I just know my perfectionist, obsessive mindset. If I got like a speck of paint on something that I paid two hundred bucks for, and the and I put the speck of paint in the wrong place, I'd go ballistic. I I, I, I don't know what I do. I, when, I I could not handle that. When I wanted to get into it, I didn't. I knew I didn't have the time to paint it, so I was already looking at buying just pre-painted sets that people already did on eBay. Yeah. How much were those? Uh, um, I guess it depends on what it is. I'm looking now. There's like anywhere from like 13 figures for 35. I don't know why it's in pounds right now. So whatever 35 pounds is. Uh, around 40, 45 bucks. Yeah, I don't know what the uh, GBP conversion rate is right yeah. now. I know that like they come pretty stock great because I did buy one set at one point in time and I just couldn't get into it. So I just gave it to the guy who like we were gaming with at the time. But it can be expensive, but it was something I wanted to get into, but I don't have that time. Right. It's not like just turning on the PlayStation for like 30 minutes and then See, that's I game and I'm done. To me, I get like super lazy when it comes to board game stuff and I just like play a board game inside mm-hmm. of a video game, which kind of yeah. defeats the whole purpose. <laughs> Are you a Mario yes. Party fan? No, I hate Mario Party. <laughs> hate it with a passion. Yeah. It is the game. I like Mario Party when I'm winning. Yeah, but that's like... 25% of the time. Well, you could win all the way to the end and then get and screwed over by luck. Yeah, no. See, that's <laughs> it's, it's random. That's a bad board game. <laughs> well, that, that reminds me of Killer Bunnies. The Killer Rabbits game? Yeah, the Killer Killer Rabbits game. You, uh, it's a card game oh. and you're oh. doing all these mean things to each other, killing each other's bunnies and so on. <laughs> But the whole point, the whole, the only way to win the game is you have to gather these magic carrots and there's one magic carrot that is the winner. So if you have that magic carrot, then you win. But getting the carrots has nothing to do with playing the cards to kill other people's bunnies. It's like Quidditch. (laughs) Nothing usually really matters. If you get the golden snitch, you're probably going to win. But like, that's okay to some extent because you're actually playing the game but like Mario Party is insane. Wait, wait, wait. Are you saying that Quidditch is okay or like Killer Bunnies? Because I mean both sound pretty decent in my book. You mean real life Quidditch or fake Quidditch in a movie? (laughs) Or both. Both. The real Quidditch is harrowing to play. It's like our culture (laughs) has suddenly died. (laughs) I don't, I just don't get it. I mean you're like taping a broom between your legs and, and it's that sounds why, extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. Why do you have to tape it? I, well, or you just hug it real hard. I think this is done a lot of colleges with alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> no, Dude, there's that. official Quidditch leagues, I think, in some universities in the United States. That's <laughs> crazy. Yeah, it's a real thing. It's a real thing now. And the golden uh, snitch and everything. I will say that Killer Bunnies is a whole lot of fun, and especially if you're in one of those moods where everyone just wants to harass each other. If your only goal is, hey, let's just harass each other, Killer <laughs> Bunnies is a great game. Yeah, uh, make friends, if you lose want, friends. Yes. Uh, if you want a game where, you have to, where your strategic thinking will actually lead to something, well, you might not want to, bu- to play that game at that moment. Yeah, and that's why I don't play Mario Party. 
because it just frustrates me to no end. They made two Killer Bunny sequels, Killer Bunnies in the Journey to Jupiter and Killer Bunnies in the Ultimate Odyssey. <laughs> there also, were a bunch of expansions for Killer Bunnies. Also, 12. just in case anyone wants to know, you can buy tickets to the U.S. Quidditch Cup 9 in South Carolina coming up in April. <laughs> How much are those? Uh, let's see. Anywhere from $10 to $115 for a VIP weekend pass. Yeah, also, your pride is included. <laughs> <laughs> pride and dignity. Um... Can I ask something real quick? Sure. Sure. Because we've gone completely off topic already, so as usual, <laughs> so it's okay. And this actually brings it back to the topic. Ooh, how do you, as uh, Christians, I'm just wondering how other people approach buying bundles. Because as I said, you know, the fact that bundles are happening for well-regarded older titles on places like the Humble Store that's allowed me to have experiences I would never have otherwise because I don't have the money. And that's the case for a lot of people as well. So how do you as a Christian approach buying bundles? And do you ever refrain from buying a bundle for a certain game because it has a certain value to you or you particularly want to help support that developer? Or it's it, it just for a, a moral or um, ethical reason? Uh, okay. I, I guess I'll go first, if nobody minds. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, I remember when Humble Bundles used to start coming out, and I was like, wow, all these indie games that I've never bought or played for this price. Because, let's be honest, I probably wasn't going to play them otherwise. So, this is probably a nice way to, like, play these games for the first time. I mean, it was, like, Braid and Super Meat Boy and, you know, a bunch of the indie darlings from and around that time, right? As time has gone on, I have not really waited for games to go on bundles because, as my giant Steam library will attest to, I have definitely not played most games I own. How many games do I own? According to the list, list I own 653. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> I assume bundles had something to do with it. You woke up out of the haze. And uh, free Steam keys giveaways from bunches of websites of games that I'm probably never going to play, but they're in here anyway. So You're just giving all that money to Gabe. <laughs> Lord Gavin gave me a lot of games. Uh, but like now it seems like I've found that because I buy the games and I bought them for like nothing, I don't have any perceived value towards them. So, you know, you'll just play them for a little bit because you didn't actually spend any real money on it. You know, do you know what I mean? Like, your brain has something to do with this, but the way that you bought something can determine how much you actually enjoy it because there's, like, perceived value behind it. So when I buy games for full price, I end up actually playing them and enjoying them, and then when I buy them for, like, nothing, I end up playing them for a little bit and then not really liking them. Rare exceptions to that, of course, but I, I find that to be the case. So what is helpful is that a lot of the games I've been wanting to play don't actually come in bundles anymore, so... That has helped me to just kind of wait for games I really do want to play instead of just buying whatever bundle comes up. Yeah, you just gonna have to weigh the alternatives. Hmm, that's true. That's at least how I go about it. Because if it's something that I like was going to play but then didn't pick up for whatever reason, right? And then I see it in a bundle, I go, oh, I'll get the bundle. But otherwise, like the Star Wars bundle that's this week or the Jumbo bundle, it's just like. 
after a while, you don't need to own all the things. You just need to own the things that you actually think you're going to play. Lies. I'm going to own everything. <laughs> no. The Bible told me to hoard. Hoard and gather. Yeah. Taking that bigger, Pokemon mentality. Tear down the barns and build bigger ones. Hmm. And can I say for a second just how terrible that Star that Wars, the newest Star Wars bundle was with the Star Wars... Uh, flight sim games that require either a flight stick or a controller that you need to have your pinkies still on the keyboard so you can activate vital functions. Well, you gotta get an arc. You gotta get one of those flight joysticks. No, I bought it cheap. That was the point. Yeah, well, you want the full experience, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you know, this bundle actually is the first Star Wars bundle was a lot better, but this one's still pretty good. That's just my opinion. Well, I'm not on Steam. But do you buy things? Do you, can you get, like, board games on Bargain? Or uh, well, things like that? Through Barnes & Noble. I mean, Barnes & Noble, a couple times a year, will put a whole bunch of games on clearance. Oh. And oh, I, so I know that. I didn't Is that so. online as well? Uh, I don't think it happens online. I think it's just the physical stores yeah it's probably uh, like when it becomes dead inventory and they just have to like get it out yeah so i'll go and do some there i, I do try to get out and, and buy games from actual hobby stores so that's actually supporting an flgs um and i even cool. have a, a membership at one flgs that has three locations around me what is an FLGS, for those of us who don't know what the acronym means? An FLGS is Friendly Local Game Store. Aha, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> it's the place where you go and you know a few people, they know you, you, you go and, and they host game nights once or twice or three times a week. And um, yeah, it's more, it, it's a retail store, but they have... But it's focused around board games, and so there's, it's more of a community mindset. And what's fantastic about that is that unlike a lot of the Steam key reselling we've spoken about, um, although there's places like Indie Game Stand and Humble that if you buy through them, it supports the portal, like you're almost certain if you're buying through a friendly local game store, you're benefiting that shop directly and continuing to keep the community itself going, which is fantastic. Yes. Yep. Um, what, one thing I will sometimes do is I'll get something on miniaturemarket.com because they have a really good discount focus. Because um, unfortunately I can't afford to do all of my spending at the local game store, which is terrible. Um, of course, right now it doesn't matter because I'm planning a trip to China, so I'm not buying games right now anyway. <laughs> yeah. To uh, China with board games. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully it. Uh, we're teaching English, and there is talk about maybe bringing in some board games to either help with the lessons or just have a game time at the end of each day or something. But we don't know for sure if that's going to happen. You got to let us know if you do find those pirated board games, though. <laughs> I'm we'll really see. curious about this. I, I will say this. Um, mm, I am right now. I'm in a country where I don't speak the language. So there's a friend. There's like several friendly local game stores right next to me, 
Mm-hmm. But I don't. But they don't speak English. They speak Italian. So, well, you all the you board might... games with their complex rules are in Italian. It's and it hurts. It okay, hurts. So you're in a different location now. Oh yeah, I'm not in Korea anymore. I'm in Italy. Okay. Well, things have changed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you might find there's more English speakers at the game nights than you expect. I was at a uh, when I was in Slovakia the last time. I got to go to a game store and there were several English speakers there. Oh, that's cool. And I met a a girl there who's Spanish who was just visiting a friend for the week in Slovakia. And so she spoke English and some of the Slovaks spoke English and I spoke English, so we all spoke English. Um, so English has gotten around Europe quite a bit. Yeah, I did notice that the game shop in general seemed like, even from my small experience with it so far, like it was much more of a congregation of English speakers, even those who weren't, you know, like native English speakers, which is an interesting phenomenon. And it might have something to do with the fact that board games are kind of, they're very, they're very Eurocentric and kind of based in America as well. So there's some cultural interchange there. Yep. Brandon Z, what are your thoughts? Well, I don't really buy bundles too much on Steam. I mean, I buy used games all the time at GameStop. I will say that for... I've... Look what you've I'll, done. <laughs> I will buy games, like, used, depending on what it is, how old it is, and obviously if you can find it new anymore. But, you know, I can't really be going out buying games all the time. I usually pre-order like all the big games are games I know that I want. But with like Steam games, and as Zach can tell you, my Steam library was pretty minimal, and some of those I didn't even buy on Steam. I actually have physical copies that just run through there. Um, I If I do buy stuff, I usually wait for the summer sale or they had that Chinese New Year sale recently when I bought Rocket League and Rise of Nations. But... Uh, question about the Humble Bundle. Um, so who actually gives out those keys to Humble Bundle? Or do they buy them? To... Usually it's publisher or developer driven, as far as I know. So with those, being that it technically goes towards like charity with whatever, like some of the proceeds going towards, is that a tax write-off for them? Uh, I don't know. I'm not even sure if Humble Bundle is even like a for-profit or non-profit company. Because I know they say like some of them goes towards like, was it a uh, Red Cross or like you can choose your own charity. Yeah, you know, I do think, I think it is a corporation, if I'd had to guess. Hmm. Okay, so here, Wikipedia has the answers. Humble Bundle is a uh, privately held Delaware corporation. I believe it gives a it must take a cut out of every purchase that's made through the company. Something like that. So for developers on Steam, does Steam still get that 10% cut off of their games too? Isn't that what Steam takes off for uh, theirs? Steam can take oh, if anybody actually wanted to know this, here you go. Uh, Steam, the Steam store place, right? The minimum that Valve takes off the top of any Steam game sale is 30%. Oh, geez. But it depends on the developer-publisher relationship between Valve and the developer-publisher. 
uh, how much the game costs, etc. So sometimes it can reach upwards of 40%, although these numbers are not like publicly released. We just know this from hearsay of developers in general. And from what I've heard from developers who are overseas, if you aren't located in the United States, the United, or if you are, even if you are located in the United States, the U.S. takes their cut. And yeah. that can reach up to 30% as well. So I know some developers who are getting 40% or less of the total revenue from their title. Yeah, which is why some Japanese companies have started incorporating like U.S. branches so they can sell games officially in the United States. Because mm. it's probably, I'm not sure which one has a lower, t I think Japan has a higher tax rate on business stuff. So anyway, this is besides the point. But <laughs> well, one of the other things too, uh, when we were talking about like getting the experiences from bundles or whether use games, whatever we want to say, I'll throw out Dark Souls there for like one of the, things you know i bought the first dark souls used because it was cheap i think i bought scholar the first sin used before i got rid of it and then i got it back brand new for christmas but by getting those experiences for even though it was cheaper and playing those games and having the access to them i am now really excited for dark souls 3 and i'm gonna pay 60 dollars for a brand new copy the day it comes out yeah look at look an awesome person <laughs> Yeah. So, like, you know, getting those experiences, like sometimes opening stuff up, like I bought Tales of Vesperia used, and that was my first Tales game, and now every Tales game that comes out in America, I'm buying, like, the day it comes out. Yeah. Actually, the same thing happened to me with Vesperia. I bought it used, and I played it, and I, and I, I really liked it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's still probably my favorite Tales game. Yeah, so I ended up buying most of them brand new, except for Exilia 2, I think. Is Vesperia available on Steam? No, it is. No, I think it's it. That's just 360 and Japanese PlayStation threes. But then, what is it? Is Zestiria on Steam, right? Zestiria is yes. Yeah. Is it good? Okay. Uh, I enjoy Zestiria so far. Most it seems like reviewers. You know what? Reviewers don't listen to them about Tales. Tales <laughs> games are great. Yeah, no, I like. What's, uh, yeah, you like it. Please continue. Um, it's really interesting because the story. Like, I've wanted to get other people's thoughts on it. I'm still not too terribly far because it kind of got, you know, Dark Souls out of the way. But it r really puts religion in the forefront. And I'm, I think it'd make an interesting game to talk about, like, after playing because religion's, like, one of the main, like, probably the main point of the game. And, uh,. That's pretty much all I got to say because I can't really talk too much about it, but I would recommend it if you like Tales. It's kind of weird that it's cheaper on PS3 right now than it is on, like, Steam, but <laughs> it's just one of those things. But it will go on sale eventually, so oh yeah, just watch for it. That's the Another... problem. Ja Japanese games on Steam, like, almost never go on discount. It mostly depends on the publisher. And uh, yeah. So Deadly Premonition went for super cheap recently, and that is a fantastically weird game. You need to play it. Um, which one? Uh, was it the PlayStation 3 one that they redid and made it a little bit better? Uh, the, the PC port of Deadly Premonition is the worst poopy that you will ever put onto your hard drive ever. You need to download the community fix. Yeah, you gotta mod hmm. that thing to death to make it workable. <laughs> Is that like Dark Souls and needing the DSi fix? Yep. It's actually made by the same person, Durante, or whatever. Yeah, because these Japanese companies have no idea how to port things to, to a personal computer. <laughs> well, hey, you can't just blame it on them, because, what was it, Team Montreal had that whole thing with Arkham Knight for a computer, so... Yeah, so that's substantially them. worse. At least these games are playable. Yeah. <laughs> 
Another small Japanese franchise that I found that is super fantastic is Ys. That is... Yeah, baby. I played a little bit of that. Uh, Which one is that? They're like action RPGs. They originated on the TurboGrafx-16 or... (laughs) What is PC Engine as it used to be called in Japan? How do you spell that one? It's Y-S. Oh, those. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, those are really good. And they're all over Steam. For some reason, I always lump those in with like Romance of the like Twelves or Seven Kingdoms or whatever type of games, even though I've never played them. And there's one on Steam, except it's completely in traditional Chinese. <laughs> yeah, people <laughs> went off about that. They were like, what is this? That's how much it actually costs. <laughs> See, I always, I always thought Dynasty Warriors was where I go for my history. Yeah, well, Three of Kingdoms is pretty good. It's just uh, for a different audience. $90? Yeah. Well, it comes with all the stuff in it. Mm. Remember, it's only meant to be sold in the Asian regions, so to convert the currency costs, it's about equivalent to a retail game in Japan. Oh, okay. That's hmm. That makes sense. Um, yeah, they, they, cop, they pay a lot. A lot of games. <laughs> they pay a you lot know, for their games. At GameStop, how they have the thing where if you buy something pre-owned, you can return it within seven days if you don't like it. Uh, if it doesn't work. I do that a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I was wondering, is that wrong? Like, to continually buy something, play it within seven days, get your experience out of it, and return it within the refund period? Almost like playing a game on Steam and then refunding it? That's, like, super shady. I think continual use. I mean, I've done it before where I beat a game within a week and I returned it because I didn't think I was going to play it again. But I went out and bought it again. That was a Bioshock Infinite. Huh, really? Yeah. And the funnier thing about that is I originally bought it for a computer and I bought the physical copy, but I was having problems running it. So I actually went back to GameStop and I knew the person there and I they let me return it. And I brought it home like the 360 version. And I still have Bioshock Infinite on my computer. I haven't loaded it back up or installed it or anything, but technically it's still in my Steam library. So I guess I could fix it and play it if I really wanted to, but part of me kind of feels wrong about that. Be like, you know, I got rid of this game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was like the one time I returned a game to Walmart with a... I returned an empty case. They forgot to look inside of it, and I didn't know the game wasn't in there until I went home and opened up my Xbox. Yeah, that happens. It's happened to me at GameStop before. And did you uh, return the disc? I traded the disc into GameStop. Like, okay. I, I returned the game to Walmart. Like, this was years ago. Like, I returned it to Walmart because uh, what happened was I bought it. Uh, it was Battle for Middle Earth 2. I love how you can tell what a story is going to sound like when someone's like, what happened was. Yeah. Well, they said it was a blank disc. Like, the disc had the writing and everything on it, but there was no data. Because my oh. Xbox would read every single game except for that one. Like, it's, it would say there's no data. Oh, that sucks. So I went back to Walmart. You know, I'm like, hey, this is what happened. And they gave me the same game back. And I went home, and the, the disc was actually in the thing. So I knew, for some reason, I know a lot of people at GameStop. So I went in there, and I was like, hey, could I trade this game in? And he's like... Yeah, and I told him the issue, and he said, oh, don't worry about it. He's like, we usually send all these to corporate anyways that don't work, and we get reimbursed for it. So I traded in a broken game to him, and they sent it away. <laughs> man. Hey, bravo for you, man. Yeah. 
Now, in hindsight, that was probably wrong, but power <laughs> testimony. Yes, we are going to talk about our shady trade-ins to Gabe stops now. <laughs> Confessional time. <laughs> I take That's good a podcast, care of my right? games, okay? And I don't appreciate when I get like w- some kind of substance on a disc that I buy. I overspent a little bit on uh, Roller Coaster Tycoon in the recent sale, and... The way to play it these days is through something called OpenRCT2, which is a fan-created thing that makes it uh, where you can play it online. And it's, it basically just makes it more palatable for modern PCs to play Roller Coaster Tycoon 2. So I've been pl- I was playing it obsessively for, the, for a few days in this outside client. And then I looked, and since I had overspent a little bit on it, I happened to look in my Steam library and I saw that through Steam, it had registered that I didn't have any game time in RCT2, so I could have refunded it. And the moral conflict I had in that moment, even though that sounds really obvious that that's wrong, was very great. Um, I ended up keeping it, though, because I, I, I got enjoyment out of it, and I hope the developer got some money. I like watching Roller Coaster Tycoon videos. Really? They I make th- me laugh. Like, I love all the funny roller coasters. I hate Roller Coaster Tycoon 2 and Roller Coaster Tycoon with a passion. And here there is one word to describe it. One reason. Handymen. (laughs) These people should all be fired into the sun. They don't clean jack crap. (laughs) Unless I manually pick them up with my cosmic hands and drop them onto the litter directly. They're really good at it. Uh, yeah, I'm good at dropping them on it. They aren't so good at finally getting over there. No matter how many times I redraw their freaking pathways. <laughs> <laughs> like just bringing this up reminded me of, like one of the last like roller coaster tycoon things I remember looking at is someone made a roller coaster that takes like 210 like normal regular like our days, not game days, to finish. <laughs> so pretty much all the people who start the ride, they're dead by the time that they finish in the game. Oh my god! <laughs> wow. Video games. <laughs> what game is this? Is this Roller Coaster Tycoon 2, 3? I, I think it was... Oh, hold on. I got what, the page over. they turn them into skeletons to show that they're dead? I don't know. Uh, there's, a, there's a video for it. I haven't really seen it. I think it might just be the first one, but... I love watching just the crash ones, like just the ones that people don't finish or like they launch people off their roller coasters. And <laughs> for some reason, like the people, the people on the roller coasters are like cheering or <laughs> like you see them like wrap the roller coaster around like the the ride will end at where the line starts or ends for the people to get on next. And like the cars will go crashing and people are like cheering and everything is like they're obviously getting hit by the cars for some reason, yet they're happy. <laughs> So it's very realistic then. Yeah, very. Very. I would enjoy it too. There was a story that was shared on Reddit and Imgur about a guy who they, he was supposed to try to beat a rival park that was located next to him. And so he built a roller coaster that would launch people into the rival <laughs> park so that it registered the deaths as occurring in that other park. And so nobody came to that park anymore, and everybody kept flooding into this dude's park to get onto the death coaster that sent them to the other park. So he ended up winning the scenario within record time by 
sociopathically murdering everybody in somebody else's location. Oh, video games. <laughs> <laughs> video games, yeah. Okay, so to uh, wrap it up after we rambled about some other things. Uh, <laughs> some very important things. Very. Uh, what's our final conclusion about all this third party selling, trading, whatever? What should we do? Monitor who you actually buy stuff from. Yeah. Yep. Simple solution to a complex problem. Yep. Support the developers you want to see continue to create amazing things. If yeah. you want, if you like something and you want them to keep making it, support it. Yeah, and it, don't be so shady about it. For the lowest yeah. price, you can pay a couple extra bucks to make sure it goes to them. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> and hey, you wait a few years, it'll appear in a bundle. Yeah, if you really didn't want it in the first place. Ah, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So, any last words from anyone? Uh, thanks for having me on. This was really fun, and I'm really glad to meet all of you, uh, Eric and Brandon, for the first time. Thanks right. again, Zach. Yeah, and uh, we got some board game stuff in, Eric. Yes, it was good to be on and. Get to meet Nelson and and Z Man and Woo. um, it's yeah, a good thing. Like, we need to have like a focused board game podcast. But you know, what? I don't play board games, so that's what I do. So yeah. me and Eric, we get together, get some other people, we we, we chop it up. Yeah, I should do that. Seriously, I've that I've been be having fun. an idea. I don't know if we could do it, but could uh, do like a Dungeons and Dragon like online back how they used to do it with the die roll and everything in chat rooms. We should do that in theology gaming. Is this even possible? I think they did it used to do it back in the day where it have random number like die roll things well, that you could put in chat rooms and stuff. Have you seen Tabletop Simulator? Apparently that exists. Apparently it, it does have... exist. There are a couple of different uh, online tabletop simulator type of things. Yeah, the actual Tabletop Simulator game on Steam also works remarkably well for that purpose with dice and everything. And But uh, I'd want to not do Dungeons & Dragons. I'd like to do kind of maybe a unique theme or something. Maybe just make something up and do some role-playing. This I'd seems be, like a good idea for it a could be fun. Some kind. I haven't really done any role-playing, but I would still enjoy that, I think. We could have Dungeon Master Zach, and he can create up this whole overarching world. <laughs> I know nothing about Dungeons <laughs> Dragons. I think I have a rule book I got from a used bookstore, but I have no idea what. I am a role player, and I have DM'd, so I would be up for doing that if you guys wanted that. Okay. I think it would be fun. Here we go. Future podcast streaming video idea. <laughs> hmm. I'm fun. I think we should do it. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Be something new too. All right. Well, all right. Well, if you've been listening to this, tell us what you think about that. Do you think <laughs> we should do that? Because <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Come on, but, Zach. Step outside your comfort yeah, zone. Yeah, but now is also the time for shameless self-promotion, which we we yes. need to do more of. <laughs> so, yes, check out Nerd Chapel at facebook.com/nerdchapel or nerdchapel.blogspot.com. Uh, and I've got game nights coming up in the Spring Lake, Michigan area. So if you're in Michigan, check it out for that. All right, Nelson, 
shamelessly uh, shill your stuff. <laughs> Hashtag Games Matter uh, isn't a specifically Christian thing, but it's something I'm involved with, and it supports independent developers by uh, interviewing them and giving away codes to whoever asks for them. Uh, as long as they legitimately play it and give it feedback and sort of support the developer. So that's one thing I do that's relevant to the conversation. But for everything else, uh, I head up Video Games in the Bible, and we discuss games from a biblical perspective on Twitch, YouTube, and videogamesinthebible.com. And again, just thanks for having me on and allowing me to shill myself. It's about at least ten times better than whatever this crap you just listened to is. <laughs> is that good enough? Did, yeah, did that's I, great. Yeah, do that. that works. Yeah. And uh, Brandon, you're Brandon. Where yeah. Can Brandon, where can Brandon be found? At Theology Gaming University. Yeah. So there, I can plug you too. Yeah, plug me. And also, yeah. if you've been listening to this and you enjoyed it, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes or whatever podcast using service that you have. It if deserves you, it. It's actually good. Yeah, and write reviews and stuff. And look for my book on uh, Amazon that I did with Nathan Marchand. It's 42, Discovering Faith Through Fandom. We take you on a journey of looking at who Jesus is and what it means to follow him personally and what it means to follow him in a group. But we do it in 42 days because 42 is the answer to life and meaning and everything. Wait, you were the dude who wrote that? Yeah. Yeah, Mind blown a second time. It, yeah. I co-wrote it with a science fiction and fantasy author named Nathan, who has been on this podcast once or twice. So, that's awesome. We're we're ending the podcast the same way we started it with my mind blown because I just got that realization. The <laughs> <laughs> connections. Yeah, it's all making sense now. It's like Dark Souls. We work our way back around and get these shortcuts in this interconnected world. Yeah. Like, oh. Yep. Oh. oh. Also, anyway, if you're listening to this and you want to talk to any of us about these many myriad topics, we're on the Theology Gaming University Facebook group where we talk about this stuff a lot. Yep. Feel free to ask us anything. Yeah, there's candy and cupcakes and you're missing out on all of it unless you join us right now. Yeah, right now. But you can't find Nelson there because Nelson uses Twitter. For various reasons, which we'll <laughs> discuss on a later one. <laughs> what is this Twitter? What is this Twitter? It's I have never only, tweeted. It's the only social media channel that allows me to speak about Dropsy obsessively without anyone <laughs> reporting me to authorities. Why does everyone use pound signs? Uh, because <laughs> Chad, goodness, it's, it's no, pound signs. No, it's. It's a, it's a way it's Twitter is a is a weight loss program so they ah. use pound signs to remind you to drop the pound. Oh, I see. Words are just attached to it because you know that, that's our thing. Because phones are going to start telling us soon to hit the hashtags, not the pound symbol anymore, right? Because do kids know what a pound symbol is nowadays? I didn't know what a pound symbol was until I was 15 years old, which would be three years ago. That is pretty sad. <laughs> that is pretty sad. <laughs> Everyone feel old now. I was always confused yeah. which one was a pound and which one was an asterisk. <laughs> I just knew one was a number sign. Why can't they just say number sign? All right. Before we reveal how old we all are, I think I'm going to stop this podcast right here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. See you guys later. Bye. 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 Bye.